feet. Very apropos song for what we're teaching. If we could all just stand together, we're going to pray and thank you so much, praise team. You know, that choir, the first choir meeting they had back here, there were 36 people and 12 were missing. So if they had all been there, it had been 50 voice, just right about. So that's exciting. Can you believe that we're looking at Christmas? It doesn't seem possible, but it is. And we're going to have a great Christmas. Looking forward to it. And the holidays, Thanksgiving and whatnot. All I can tell you is I like this weather. This is, this is the weather you need to be here for. Well, we're looking at how to hear the Lord. God is speaking. Are we listening? And I believe we are. More and more people are listening. So let's pray together and ask God to speak. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you're alive and well. You did not stop speaking when the first century passed away. But you're speaking to your people daily. And Lord, open our ears, sharpen our hearing. Lord, fine-tune our hearing ear so that we will recognize what God is saying to us individually, what he's saying to us corporately, what he's saying to us nationally. Lord, we thank you for it. Now, would you just breathe a prayer, church? Just look right up to him and just say, Lord, fine-tune my hearing ear so that I can grow more and more able to hear what God is saying to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and say, perk up and listen. All right. You know, I, I like to always keep you informed of how God is using you, you and me together as a team to reach people. Jeff Kelly, our, our, uh, who runs the bookstore, um, asked me to come into the foyer yesterday. He was showing me something before the mailman came. And it was just this huge stack of boxes and big envelopes of, of message orders that had come in from around the country. And the mailman had to go out and get a special tray to take them all out because it was yay high, this wide. And he said, that's from one week, one week. And so we're reaching people around the country. Isn't that good? And so not only are we blessing one another, but we're blessing many, many others, and it's exciting. Now, let's talk about hearing God. And uh, first of all, there we go. Hearing God, fine-tuning your spiritual ears. I want you to say with me, I do have spiritual ears. When you got saved, God gave you a new set of eyes and ears. Jesus talked about spiritual vision, and he talked about spiritual hearing. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what God is saying. So we're going to look at how God speaks tonight. How does God speak? Well, it's good to know that he does. Amen? God can speak to us in various ways, and as we seek to fine-tune our spiritual ears, it's important to understand from Scripture how God has spoken to his saints in the past. How do you speak in the past? In what ways did the voice of the Lord speak to people he, whose attention he wanted? Well, let's explore some of those ways. First, God speaks in a still, small voice. We could call it a whisper, a still, small voice. Now, 
That little phrase, still small voice, comes from this story. In 1 Kings 19, we find the great prophet Elijah on the run from evil queen Jezebel, who had ordered his death after a mighty miracle in which he challenged the prophets of Baal to call upon their God while Elijah called upon his. You all know the story. It was an amazing story. As a result, after he had mocked and ridiculed, made fun of the prophets of Baal, who, of course, had no real God, Elijah prayed and fire fell from heaven. Now, that same kind of fire had fallen on Sodom and Gomorrah. There are many accounts in the Bible where fire literally fell from heaven, fell in judgment primarily. Matter of fact, Elijah's fire that fell was to testify that Baal was no God and that God was the living God. So fire fell to testify who the real God was and fire fell to judge. But God can send fire from heaven. Now, when this happened, all of Jezebel's false prophets of Baal were put to death. And this miracle that God performed put a major, major dent in the false cult of Baalism in Israel. It's why God raised Elijah up. Now, despite God's marvelous, uh, marvelous works, his mightiest prophet was frightened when he heard that Jezebel had vowed, I'm going to get you. You've ruined my thing. You've messed up my religion. You've had all my prophets killed. Now I'm coming to get you. And what gets me is this one man who had brought down fire from heaven and brought a whole nation to his knees, ran from one woman. She must have been formidable. He ran in dread terror from one woman. Now, I have a little theory about that. I think that he was spiritually exhausted and, and depressed. We know that he was depressed because we're, we, when he was under the juniper tree, he literally asked God to kill him. So that's it. It's enough. Take my life. I've had all this fun I can stand. And so we know that he was down. We know that he was blue. And when you're that way, everything looks worse than it really is. So he's running from this woman. And as soon as you run from the enemy, you open up yourself to all kinds of mental attacks of fear and doubt and whatnot. So his, he's running from the enemy, and he finally ends up in a cave way far away. And while Elijah was in the cave, God began to literally fine-tune his spiritual ears to hear his voice. Now keep in mind that Elijah had been the prophet of fire. What does that mean? His entire ministry was one of mighty, earth-shaking miracles. Elijah was the prophet of dynamic manifestations of God's power. His ministry had climaxed in calling down fire before all of Israel, like we had just said. And I want to read the account to you because it's so amazing. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they did the only reasonable thing. They fell on their face and said, read it with me, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You say that quick, lest that fire get to you because this fire is moving now. So Elijah's had been the ministry of the fantastic, the dynamic, the spectacular displays of God's power. That's what he was known for. He was very used to powerful miracles following his bold faith. Now, what happened to this great man as he hid quivering in a cave 
has always intrigued me. I think it's one of the real studies, great studies in the Old Testament. We are told, as he's way back in the back of this cave, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Has, anybody, has the Lord ever said that to you? What are you doing here? Come on, everybody. Don't look so holy. Has God ever said, what are you doing here? Not here in this church. <laughs> I'm talking about, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you could almost hear God said, what, what are you doing here? Come on. Well, if you haven't, hang on. You will one day. Now, he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah began to pour out his depression. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, he said. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. Now listen to the voice of depression. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Now when you feel like you're the only one going through what you're going through, you're depressed. I alone am left. He's got the violin out now. He said, I've been very zealous for you, Lord. And what have I gotten for it? I'm the only one left. All your prophets, of course, it wasn't true. We know there were hundreds of God's prophets being hidden by God. So he wasn't alone. He just thought he was. And now, now they're seeking to take my life. This woman, this, this terrible witch of a woman is out to get me. This cultist, this evil woman. Elijah was in the pit of depression, convinced that he alone remained faithful to God. He felt isolated, fearing for his very life. God responded by taking his man through a series of thunderous displays of nature. You could call it earth, wind, and fire, just so you can remember it. Earth, wind, and fire. Earthquake, wind, and fire. 1 Kings 19 gives the account. Then God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. So Elijah goes out there. He stands on the mountain before the Lord, and God gives him this display. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains, so strong that it broke the rocks in pieces. That's a strong wind. It broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But I want you to notice what it says. Read it with me. But the Lord was not in the wind. Well, after the wind, an earthquake. But what does it say? The Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord not in the fire. And after the fire, what happened? A still, small voice. So he's got... Wind goes by so strong it breaks the rocks. Then here comes an earthquake. I mean, this is really a tumultuous event for any one man to be standing there experiencing. It's scary. Rock-breaking wind, earthquake, then a fire. But then a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it, the still, small voice. He wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out, and he stood in the entrance of the cave. Now, what does all this mean? All right? There are many interpretations from good people as to why God brought before his discouraged prophet this wind and the earthquake and fire finally to speak to him in a still small voice. You can read good commentators who will give you different takes on this. It, it is rather open to interpretation, but I'm going to tell you what my conviction is. 
Elijah had been so profoundly involved in dynamic ministry for so long that he had begun to confuse what God was doing with God himself. Now follow me. That is, Elijah had begun fellowshipping with the miracles of God rather than the God of the miracles. Let it run through your mind now. Think with me. Follow me. This is one of the dangers of ministry, ladies and gentlemen. I've watched very anointed people through the years lose their close walk with the Lord by substituting His person for His works. It's easy when God is really using you and you're involved in something that's red hot for God. It's easy to begin to fellowship with that work and get your identity from that work and focus on that work and focus on the hand of God more than the heart of God. You fellowship with his miracles more than with him. I've known people that had great giftings and they go out there and they begin to be used greatly by God and their whole heart and focus and affection and attention goes to what God is doing rather than the God who's doing it. I've seen good people become so enamored with ministry, they focus more on God's hand than his heart. And they, and they, they without meaning to, they lose touch with the Lord. And that's when you get in trouble. Are y'all with me? That's when you get in trouble. Because, because it's easy to be so struck with what God is doing. Well, we have a little saying that you can become so busy with the work of the Lord, you forget the Lord of the work. They become slowly disconnected. And it takes, this takes place over a period of time. But they become slowly disconnected from a daily communion with the Lord by an inordinate focus on His work. And what happens is, once you lose that connection of daily contact with the Lord, and you become all about His work... You are on your way to burnout. I'm going to tell you what the key to ministry is, because all of you are ministers here today. And I don't care if you, you know, you're in a 40, 50 hour a week job, but you're still a minister. And you've still got the same dynamic working in your life as I do. And I'm going to tell you the key to lasting for the long haul is a daily devotional with God. If you let that go, you are going to wind up driving down the highway of life on empty, running on fumes, on the momentum from yesterday's blessings. And, and, and what that does is one day you wake up and you've got no more desire, no more zeal, no more passion. You find yourself bored with it, turned off to it, without energy. And you could almost sing with B.B. King, the thrill is gone. <laughs> now, I'm going to just posit something here tonight. This is what happened to this man. He had been so involved in bringing 
Israel deliverance from the worship of a false god and a false cult. He saw miracle after miracle, sign after sign. He, he executed all the prophets of Baal after that fire fell. He had almost completely done what God gave him to do. But where do we find him? We find him under a juniper tree asking God to kill him. Wait a minute. If, if I've just called fire down from heaven in the most spectacular miracle of my ministry, and I have just personally executed all the prophets of Baal who were executable because they had killed children, then I'm not going to be under a juniper tree asking God to kill me. I'm going to be flying high. But he wasn't. He was blue. He was down. He was exhausted. He was drained. So I'm going to, again, I'm positing my take on this tonight, and that is that there's a reason that God made the, the earth, wind, and fire pass before him. And then, and, and, and at each time, the Holy Ghost makes a point of saying, God wasn't in it, God wasn't in it, God wasn't in it. And then there's still a small voice, and he wraps his face in, in the mantle, which is a sign of respect and honor. And he receives at that very moment a fresh assignment from God. A fresh assignment from God. God was saying to this man, Elijah, though I cause these mighty signs, they are not me. Don't confuse what I do with who I am. You're not to fellowship with my works, you're to fellowship with me. God was literally fine-tuning his spiritual ears when he said, it's not in this dynamic thing, not in that dynamic thing, not in this dynamic thing, but it's in the still small voice. This is me. The still small voice, Elijah, is me. And I want you to reconnect with me. Somebody's listening right now by radio. I know it. A minister. You've been fellowshipping with the works of the Lord. You need to tune back in, friend, to the still small voice that's why you're drained. That's why you're empty. That's why you don't know what to do anymore. That's why you have no joy in the morning. That's why you have no joy in the evening. That's why you don't want to get out of bed because the, the, the thrill is gone because you have so focused on the work of the Lord, you've let your devotional life go and you're dying on the inside. Get back in touch with the still small voice. Get back in touch with the still small voice. Get back in fellowship with God. I work very hard to keep a balanced life. I know what it is to not have a balanced spiritual life and to crash. I know what it is. And it's horrible. It's terrible. I now keep it balanced. I will not let the ministry push me where I disconnect from that still small voice. I just won't do it uh, because I know the price you pay. Oh, you'll pay a price. And you, friend, just because I'm a preacher and you're not, that doesn't mean anything. You've still got a ministry and you've got a spiritual life. And you cannot get so involved in what you're doing, the work of the Lord or just busyness, period, that you are taken away from that still, small voice, which you hear in the morning when you open up that Bible and God begins to talk to you, and that's why we're looking at hearing God, because we all need to hear God. Listen, they had to gather that manna every single morning. 
If you didn't gather manna that morning, you couldn't eat yesterday's manna because it had rotted. God was teaching them, you need fresh manna every single day. Yesterday's manna is not good enough for today. You've got to have today's manna. If you don't get today's manna, you have no manna. And if you try to refrigerate yesterday's manna, it's still going to be rotten when you go try to get it. What was God saying? I'm trying to train you to go out every morning and gather what I have put there for you on that day. Elijah became beautifully reconnected to God's voice, hence to God. God was found in the still small voice, speaking quietly to his soul. When Elijah heard that voice, as I said, he wrapped his face in his mantle, a sign of great honor and respect. He knew this was God finally, and walked to the mouth of the cave to receive a new assignment. And God gave him a brand new, fresh assignment when he reconnected with the still small voice. Oh, I love this. This is where I live. Right here is where I live. Because this is as real as rain, ladies and gentlemen. You and I live here because we're children of God. And so we've got to gather that manna every day. We've got to contact and be in contact with that still, small voice, however he chooses to speak. It's important for us as we learn to fine-tune our spiritual ears to God's voice that we distinguish what he does with who he is that we discern between the noise and the clamor of the world and God's still, quiet voice speaking to our soul. God's still, small voice has been likened to a leaf falling on a glassy pond. It strikes the water quietly. You've seen it. The leaf falls and it hits that pond and you can't hear it. You can barely see the results, but if you look closely, little ripples go out from where that little leaf hit quietly, imperceptibly when it comes to just hearing it. And the ripples go across the pond and it's the same with God's voice. It falls gently on our soul. It sends ripples of peace and assurance through your spirit. It's not loud. It's not boisterous. It's not noisy. It's not clamorous. And it doesn't drive you. Satan drives. God beckons. It's quiet, his still small voice. Peaceful, gentle, nudging us along. More times than not, God speaks in this whisper. So how's God talk to us? Well, you're sitting there in prayer, and with me, it's usually either a little impression or Two or three words that I really sense God saying to me, like, I'm with you, or it's going to be okay, or call this or that person, or pray in this direction. Little, still, small voice accompanied with peace. That's how God speaks. A voice in your ear. What about a voice in your ear, an audible voice? Isaiah 30, verse 21 says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, 
Now, this is the second way that God speaks, a voice in your ear. Now, this seems to be talking about a literal, audible voice like mine right now. And we have to be careful here because I can almost hear critics listening, saying, well, you're talking about psychopathy. You're talking about psycho stuff, people hearing voices. You got to be careful there, preacher. If you're hearing voices, you need to call the van. Well, watch this. Young Samuel experienced this when he was in the temple. God called his name out loud. He said, Samuel. And Samuel went in there and asked Eli, what do you want? And Eli said, I didn't call you. You had a dream. Go back. He goes back in, Samuel. He goes back into Eli and said, what do you want, man? Not really. That's paraphrased, slanted wickwire version. Eli said, I didn't say anything to you. He goes back a third time and he says, Samuel. It was audible. Finally, Eli, the priest, got it. He said, you need to go back. God is talking to you, and he did it with an audible voice. And we know this also happened with Saul before he was Paul. When God knocked him down on the road to Damascus, it says, quote, then he fell to the ground, and read it with me, everybody, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, and look what he said. He's converted already. He said, who are you, Lord Then the Lord said, I am Jesus. Now, this is all audible. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads, meaning you're you're under such conviction, and you're kicking against the conviction, and every time you kick against the conviction, you get convicted again. You're fighting your conscience, Saul, and you're fighting me. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, again, audibly, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now look what was happening with the guys who were with him. The men who journeyed with him stood speechless, read it with me, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Can you imagine? Saul, they heard it, saw nobody. Why are you persecuting me? There's nobody around. They're hearing it. Saul's on the ground. He's trembling and shaking. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. They've heard all that, but they see no man. We would say hallucinations, but no, it was not a hallucination. It was a, the audible voice of God. Now, while this can happen, I'm going to be, I assure you, it's the rarest among the ways God speaks. I've walked with the Lord for over 40 years, and I've never heard an audible voice. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've never heard God say, Jeff. Because he knows right then and there I'd die of a heart attack. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> you know, so anyway, God has mercy on me. If it should happen, always hold it up against the Scriptures. If you hear an audible voice, you need to hold it up against the Scriptures. And I'm going to talk about that next week. How do you try the Spirit's? with a word or with the word of God. How do you try the spirits? How do you try voices to see if they're of God? But now, another way God speaks is through the conviction by the Holy Spirit. That's a third way. John 16, 8 says that when the Holy Spirit comes, quote, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, if I'm going to convict you convince you that you're doing something wrong, I've got to be communicating with you. How are you going to be convicted or convinced that you're doing something wrong unless I'm communicating with you that what you're doing is wrong? 
So he's talking about here God's voice, God communicating, God speaking to turn you from a way that is destructive to your soul. Let's say you're about to say something really nasty to somebody. I don't know if you've ever done that, but hypothetically. You suddenly either feel a pulling back by the Holy Spirit to not say that nasty thing, or you sense the Lord tap you on the skull and say, son or daughter, that's not nice. Don't say that. It's right on the tip of your tongue, and all of a sudden something grabs you on the inside and pulls you back and says, don't do it. You know what God just did? He just spoke to you via the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what is meant by the word to convict, which is also translated to reprove. We must be humble and accept God's reproof of our actions. And i got to tell you, listen very carefully. One key to sharpening your hearing ear is to immediately obey these initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. It works both ways. If God is speaking to you and your heart, you harden your heart and you close your ears off to him and you don't pay attention and you resist him and you go your own way, hearing God's voice becomes harder and harder. You dull your spiritual hearing. But when you train yourself to immediately respond to God's conviction, you sharpen your spiritual hearing so that when God speaks, man, you got it. You, you heard it. You are tuned in. But there are people, God could hit them over the head with a sledgehammer and they're not going to hear him. Try our nation right now. So when he says, don't say that or do that, go there or dwell on that, instant obedience will sharpen your spiritual sensitivity to God's voice. And disobedience will dull it. Now here's a fourth way that God talks, being led by the Spirit. Isn't this Christian life exciting? Seriously. We ought to be excited about the Christian life because we, we are not a religious people who just have a bunch of rules and regulations and a book of rules and regulations. But no, we, we were translated from darkness to light and into a dynamic, Spirit-led, supernatural life where God's Holy Spirit lives inside of us and literally leads us. Look at what it says in Romans 8, 14. Read it with me. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you're not led by the Spirit of God, you're not a child of God. So he said the earmark of a true born-again child of God is the Spirit leads you. And if he leads you, he's talking to you. He's speaking to you. He's communicating with you. Or how is he ever going to lead you? The child of God should regularly experience the leading of the Holy Spirit. Regularly. Every day. The book of Acts is really the record of the acts of the Holy Spirit more than it is the acts of the apostles. As he moved upon and through the early disciples. I've been going through the book of Acts in my devotional in the mornings. And I've started marking how often it says, the Spirit said, the Spirit said, the Spirit led them. The Spirit this, the Spirit that. When you read the book of Acts, just marking where the Holy Spirit or the Spirit is used, it is over and over and over again. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, it was the church's birthday. And a, an incredible dynamic came into the world and upon God's people. The reality of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, God leads his children by the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. He speaks through his word, as we have seen. And he speaks through his still, small voice. But guess what? He can also speak through circumstances by opening a door of opportunity. How does God speak, you say? He speaks by opening up doors. Usually, the opening up of the door is a confirmation of what he has spoken to your heart in the first place. I have never had God lead me that he did not open a door for me to walk through and said to me, essentially, this is the way. Walk ye through it. Walk ye through it. As Paul testified, look what he said to the Corinthian church. For a great and effectual door has opened to me and Satan's fighting me tooth and nail. There are many adversaries. Well, who opened that door? Well, Revelations tells us. Jesus spoke to the Philadelphia church and said, read it with me, church. See, I have set before you an open door. Who's talking? He, all right. And, and he said, I've, I've set before you. There it is. And it's an open door. And no man on earth can shut it because I've opened it. I love that. And so when a door opens and circumstances come together, God can speak through those circumstances. Now, I'm a broken record here. They always need to be brought through the sifter of God's Word. But when God speaks to you to take a certain step, go a certain way, do a certain thing, He's always going to open a door. And when he opens it, it's a supernatural opening. No man could have opened it. No man could have done it. Do you know that we're in this building and nobody could have opened the door for this building? I'm going to tell you, no man could have done it. It was a supernatural door that was opened up. And God said, this is the way, walk through it. And I will take care of everything that it needs. And we came in here, it was a cement floor, it was a wooden stage. We didn't have almost half of the building finished out at all. It was a mess. The, the, the grounds were a mess. But God said, I've opened to you that door. Walk through it, and I'm going to take care of you. And so he spoke through the door. He spoke through the open door. Now, he also speaks through shut doors. There are times when God will shut a door where it smashes your nose. And, and, and you can kick it, hit it, fast it, pray it, bind it, loosen it. It will not open. And 10 years down the road, you say, oh, thank you, God, that you closed that door. I just thought that's what I wanted, but that's not what I wanted. I thought that was you, and it was not you, and I would have gone through it if you hadn't closed it. He speaks through a closed door as much as he speaks through an open door. Anybody ever had your nose smashed real good? Oh, yeah. Come on. Yep. Bang! And you go off, and you pout, and you sulk. Oh, God, I just thought that was your will. How come you don't bless me? And then you see that person five years later. Oh! <gasps> I'm sorry. I'm in a happy mood tonight. The singles are really laughing over here. Yeah. All right, now. As God has led me, he's almost always confirmed his leading by speaking through circumstances that lined up with what he was saying. Circumstances that confirmed his leading. God can also lead through 
feelings and desires. Now, this is another way that God speaks. Listen carefully. This is so real. I want you to understand that God speaks in many ways. He can lead through feelings and desires. Now, again, we've got to be careful here. I would caution that all feelings and desires must be run through the sifter of God's Word. Okay? But if God's Word can amen what you're feeling, if it's in line with God's clearly revealed will in His Word, then I want to tell you tonight that God speaks through feelings and desires. The fact remains the Holy Spirit who indwells us will often generate desires within us that motivate us to do His will. I I believe one of the ways you know His will is what divine desire has He put in your heart? That is, what do you gravitate towards according to your natural desires as God has birthed them in your heart? Look what the Bible says. Paul says, quote, It is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and doing what? Read it with me. Creating in you the power and the desire. You see what God's saying there? He's going to mess with your desires. God's going to seize hold of your emotions and the the desires of your heart, and he's going to put desires in your heart that are in line with his word. It says, David the psalmist talked about God giving you the desires of your heart. Have you ever looked at it this way? It doesn't mean that what you want, he's going to give it to you, but that the desires you have, God gave them to you. That is, he will give you the desires that are in your heart. He will give you the desires that reign in your heart. And he says, here's why he does it. Both to will, so you will want to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Do you know why I'm in the ministry? Desire. So why would you want to do what you do? Because it's not a career choice. It shouldn't be. Well, because God gave me a desire to preach that I could not escape, and it has never left me. It ate me up alive. If you want to make me miserable, take me away from any opportunity to, to share God's Word. And you're not going to be, want to be around me after a couple of weeks. Because I'm going to be grouchy. I'm going to be out of sorts. Because God built me and wired me and desired me, uh, desired me literally to, to share the Word. It, it was, I never heard a voice say, Jeff, preach! I just began to get this burning to share the Word. Jesus was often moved with holy desire. The Bible says, quote, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. You can read that one phrase, moved with compassion, concerning the ministry of Jesus over and over again. When I pray, I'm often moved with emotions of compassion and concern for those I'm praying for. Matter of fact, what gets me praying for them in the first place is, is compassion and a concern for them that was there before I even began to pray, and that's why I'm praying. Because God gave me the desire. People, I've never known anybody called in the mission field that was not burning on the inside to be released to the mission field. It was a holy, divine want to do. Because God was working in them to create holy desire. Many times I've experienced a compassion and care towards a person or people that God was calling me to minister to. 
It can be, an, it can be a, a holy burden. When God began to move on me to minister his word, I was fresh out of hippiedom, had hair down to here, par down the middle, wire rim glasses, bell-bottom blue jeans, pullover shirts, rough, never got through high school, um, had no idea what I was going to do with my life. But when I gave my heart to the Lord, something began to happen inside of me. And he gave me this desire to minister his word. And one night I was watching on TV this movie, and it was called Go Ask Alice. And it was a movie about a girl who got involved in the drug culture. And you could see in the movie her fighting it, struggling, scratching and clawing to get out. And right when it looked like she was going to make it, she overdosed and she died in the movie. It was a book as well. As a matter of fact, the movie was made from a book. I'm going to tell you what happened to me. I, I, when the movie ended, I was alone. And I turned it off and I fell on the floor and I began to wail. I just began to wail. I just began to weep so hard that I could not... I could not even begin to get control of it. I wept until I didn't feel I could cry another tear, and then I cried more. Because she represented my generation that was being slaughtered by the drug culture. And a supernatural burden came upon me to take the Jesus that I had discovered to them. And that experience preceded my preaching career. I began to go to the jails and prisons, and I went every single week, twice a week, to the jails and, and, and preached to thousands of teenagers through the years, calling them to Christ. And everywhere I went, I did it. And, and, and I can remember that night, that burden that fell on me. It was a supernatural heartbreak and burden and desire to reach those people. It had nothing to do with Jeff Wickwire. It was not of me, from me. It was absolutely supernatural. That's what I'm talking about. You get a desire, and God moves through your desires. It was intercessory prayer that was flowing out of me, moved on by the Holy Ghost of God. Amen. It was what he was feeling for the Alice's of this world. Part of sharpening our hearing ear is learning to recognize the Holy Spirit, using our emotions to direct us. Seriously. Where you begin to say, oh, look, I think that's something God's putting on my heart. So I'm going to respond. I'm just not going to let it float by, but I'm going to respond. When such a desire begins to spring up within us, we need to ask God, what do you want me to do with the desire you've placed in my heart? What do you want me to do with it? You, you've given this to me. What do you want me to do with it? And that's exactly what I did when I was still 18 and 19 years old, which is when that particular event happened to me. I was 18 and 19 years old, freshly filled with the Holy Spirit, fresh in the things of God, but that's, that was the beginning. And I just began to ask God, what do you want me to do with this? I, I don't know where to go, what to do. I wasn't raised in church. I had no clue. 
But he began to open doors. And he gave me a vent, an outlet, for the desire he'd given me. And he'll do the same with you. Because he's the one who opens and no man shuts and shuts and no man opens. Next time, we're going to look at how to test a voice with Scripture. Can we stand together? And you know, I'm sensing a real anointing here right now. And I want to pray for some of you. Because some of you have a desire that has been dawning in your soul. And you don't know what to do with it. Where to go. Some of you need a door to open. Say, and God to say, that's it. This is the way. Walk through it. Some of you really need the Lord to speak into your heart and say, here's what I want you to do with that desire. And, and you, you know you're called to something, but you need that door. You need specificity from God. So I'm going to ask you to come down right now, if that's you. I want you to come down. And I just want to lay hands on you and pray for you. And I want to pray God opens and God moves on your life. And I want to believe God to anoint you and to bring a door right before you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's a sweet presence in this place. And I want everybody just be prayerful. It's only 810. We're good with time. Don't even worry about it because something is happening already in this altar somebody's being called tonight. Somebody is being spoken to tonight. God's going to open a word tonight. He's going to give you a word. In Jesus' name, just come down all the way and we're going to worship.